Blog Talk Radio. Truth. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence by the military-industrial complex. Are the Bible's prophecies today's reality? This could be the sign that signals the return of Christ. World leaders are working behind the curtain. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. Secret societies, secret oaths, secret proceedings. Now, get ready for an hour of truth that will make you think. We'll examine Bible prophecy and see how close we are to the return of Jesus Christ for His church. You're in the zone. Politics, Israel, the Middle East, the revised European superstate, and more, all in the zone. This is the Prophecy Zone with your host, Phil Armstrong. And then the end will come. 
we, I so strongly believe, are living in these days. It's hard for me to imagine that for such a time as this, I find myself seeing important pieces spoken about so long ago coming together. Today on this show, I will focus on one of these pieces, the battle between Sarah and Hagar of Isaac and Ishmael of Islam and Christianity. The stage is being set for this final showdown. Now, today we start an important series on Islam as, and its battle for the world recognition and domination. Now, what is Islam? Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with it. There are some of you who are not. Both will benefit today and in coming weeks as we will focus our attention not only on Islam itself as a religion, but as an important player in this final drama. Today I will be introducing you to the prophets of Islam, what they are saying to the U.S. and to the world. And in question, are we listening to what is being said? I want to start off by asking several questions. And I want you to start thinking as I ask these questions, hopefully today, maybe I won't get through it all today, but through these, this course of this series, I hope to get through a lot of these questions. So, so today is the introduction. How is Islam affecting our world today? Can we expect global domination? Is radical Islam a violent, oppressive, and dominating religion, or is it one of peace, justice, and freedom? And I said radical Islam because when we talk about radical Christianity, I am a radical Christian. So when I say radical Islam, I'm not talking about the militant Islam necessarily. I'm talking about those who are on fire, you know, that. Christian is saying on fire, uh, enthusiastic, uh, looking for the day of the Al Ahmadi to appear. Those who are who are um, passionate and uh, waiting for the time of the end, and they are waiting for the time in the end, just like we are waiting for the second coming of Jesus. There waiting for the last imam or the twelfth imam to appear. We as Christians say that the, the that Jesus is going to come and judge the earth. And after a period of judgment upon the earth, Jesus will come for us, for his very own. Islam says that the last imam will only come when they start chaos. And in the midst of that chaos, will the last imam come and set up his reign of justice? He will solve the problems of the earth. He will, he will bring uh, the chaos in order. We're going to look at, in this series, what the Quran has to say about this. And we're going to look at can Islam survive within a nation without dominating that nation? Do they want to survive in a nation without taking or conquering that nation? What does the Prophet Muhammad command? The world is responding, but maybe instead we should be reacting. 
you know, the world is actually, you know, we can we can kind of say they're either reacting or responding, but I say that they're reacting or they're responding because they're responding in a positive way to Islam when we should be reacting against Islam. And you'll find out why I say that as we go in further into the series. Are we and so are we listening? Do we know what's about to come upon the world? Should Islam dominate and rule over nations? Do we know what their ideals are? Do we know what they're predicting for you and me, for Jews and Christians? What is it that they have in store for us? The prophet of Islam the prophets of Islam are shouting loudly, shouting loudly. On the news, you, you you hear about vicious attacks and cries against those who dare to insult Islam and his prophet. The world cowers in fear, but will this make Islam any more peaceful? Will they bring about this peaceful religion, or is it not what we think it is or what they're saying, or some of them are saying anyway? Will a positive response of acceptance make our chances for a good relationship with Islam any better as far as the world stage is concerned. Today, I want to introduce you to some of these prophets. Now, who are they? What are they saying? And we'll take a look at both prophets of Islam, and now listen to me, and prophets of Islam against Islam. Both are speaking loudly. Whom shall we listen to? Should we believe both? Why do our ears seem so deaf? Both are crying out for center stage. Both the prophets for Islam and against Islam are speaking out. I'm going to show you what they're saying. I'm going to let you experience it a little bit today. Now, will Islam conquer the world? Will Sharia be the law of the land? Can America stand as the only world superpower? I am from the United States of America, so those of you who are listening on this radio program from another country, I am speaking from the heartland of the United States and from the prairies of the United States. And I am letting you know that we here in the United States who are Christians are becoming aware, very much aware, of what is happening. And today, your host on this show is trying to make everybody else who does not hear begin to hear, begin to see what is happening. I am shouting that voice. I am not a prophet of Islam, so to speak, but I know that for such a time as this, God has put me in this place in this time, and I feel honored to do so. Now, does Islam predict domination led by the Mahdi? Or is he going to bring peace, social justice, mercy, kindness, compassion? Is he here now? What do the prophets of Islam think? What are they saying? And again, should we listen? Is peaceful is is Islam peaceful or radical? And I'm saying this again and again so that you can you can get this in your mind. Start, you know, we're already thinking these things, but I'm I, I want you to really hone down and think about it. 
what do they believe? Does the Quran promote peace or is it is a religion of war? What is jihad? So many questions. Are there answers? Well, I'm here to say today that yes, there are answers. Now, we hear a lot about what is happening, and I started out the program talking about the earthquake, uh, the birth pains of the earth. The earth is shaking. The earth is, is moving. The earth is is speaking loudly, but there's voice, other voices that are speaking a lot loudly. And the one piece that I focus on uh, is the voice of man, the voice of Islam. What is happening around the globe in the Middle East, Egypt, Libya, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Iraq, Iran, and Israel? This is where the stage is set. This is where it's going to play out. And these things that are happening, what we see in Egypt uh, and Libya are, and Jordan, all of these things are just starting and it's on purpose. I found a website, uh, and, and I've gone to several websites, but I, I've gone to several websites. I have read several books. I have, I have dived in, and I can't tell you how um, amazing it has been for me to really be able to see with the eyes of uh, those who are speaking on behalf behalf of uh, Jesus and Christianity. What God is doing in the Islamic world by sending dreams and visions to uh, the closed countries, people there seeking God, and how they're now speaking on behalf of Jesus and his saints. Well, <clears throat> on this particular website... It's called the the New Arab World, um, and it's it's uh, www.globaljihad.net. This is what they're going to they say, and I want to read this to you. I want I want you to hear what this is saying. Okay, for over ninety years, they say, since the end of World War One in 1918, the Arab society in the Middle East was managed in accordance to two main characteristics. A, it was run by corrupt, non-democratic elites and under some sort of oppression. And B, it was never uh, the Arab societies, the Arab regimes or the Arab rulers who were to blame for the growing lapses of the situation in the Arab world, despite their huge oil resources and their growing lapses in the situation and their strategic location on the southern side of Gibraltar sorry, Strait, on the Swiss Canal and on the Aden, Baba Lamandab Strait, and the Hormuz Strait in the southern entrance to the Gulf, Arab Gulf. It was always the Zionists and, and the unsolved Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the satanic Mossad, the CIA, the Western democracies in general, and the USA behind them. Many, and too often blamed simply the Jews, the source of Islamic militancy, 
of nowadays and the global jihad springs from the same idea that it is not the Arabs who are supposed to be blamed for their straying, staying behind, but the Crusaders, Christians, and of course Jews. The Middle East storm, which already toppled two regimes in Tunisia and Egypt, and endangered immediately three other regimes, the Libyan, the Yemeni, and the Bahraini regimes, is characterized for the first time on such a scale that the Arab masses blame their own regimes, their own society, and their own rulers, despite some attempts to divert the anger to the traditional direction of Zionist conspiracy attempts, uh, executed by the CIA and the Mossad agents, the Arab masses, for the first time, refuse to be mis- misled and diverted as there is justification to corruption, lack of e- economical development, denial of human rights, ethnic violence, and persecution of Christians because Israeli and Palestinians did not solve their problems yet. For decades, USA and Europe actually supported the situation, the oppressive regimes, their corruption, and the idea that all is focused on Israeli-Arab conflict. Western diplomats like Tony Blair said clearly that without solving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, there cannot be peace and progress in the Middle East, supporting the ridiculous theory of the archaic regimes in the region that is not Arab, um, not is not Arab fault that the Middle East is so backward. It is obvious that the Arab masses do not buy the theory anymore. They want answers from their own regimes and refuse to link between the unsolved Israeli conflict and their own situation. USA is now, because of its incredible hypocrisy, strongly despised by most Arabs even hated because they supported for so many years Hosni Mubarak, did business with Muammar Gaddafi, still supported the Saudi monarchy, and just recently sent an ambassador to Syria on the most brutal, one of the most brutal Arab regimes. They still hate, to a large degree, Israel, but they do not blame anymore all the world for their problems. Finally, many Arabs understand it is their responsibility to shape their countries and their future. In the next years, the Arab societies in the Middle East will be occupied by redefining their societies with very little attention to Israel. The Arabs will be tangled in a struggle between Islamism and liberalism, between local traditions and democracy, and between the Shia and the Sunni conflict. There is no way to predict the Middle East in the coming years, and bloodshed as part of the process is very likely, but still, Middle East is in the middle of the U-turn from projecting their problems and others to internalize that they are the, are responsible more than any other in the world to the future of their own countries and their people. In the longer run, it is the beginning of the end for Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, however you want to say it, and the global jihad. Now, what I find interesting about uh, that particular article is that it, what it's saying is that these countries are coming to terms that they have to deal with their problems. They have to uh, bring about a world peace. Now, 
I have a problem with this article in that it makes it sound as though uh, each country is going to be independent. Each country is going to independently uh, elect what they want there other than what the whole entire um, uh, movement is. It's a revolution. They call it a revolution. And the revolution is promoted and instigated and pushed and propagated by the Muslim Brotherhood. What they want to establish in these places is the Kausat, the reign of the Kausat, to bring back the government of Shia and Islam, make them Islamic empires. So what this article is saying is actually very deceptive in that it says that each one is going to be democratic. And as the prophets are saying, what this article says is not correct because they're not for democracy per se, they're for domination. They use democracy in order to bring about their dominion. And this is what is happening in these countries. To say that that it's the end of Al-Qaeda and the global jihad is actually very deceptive and very wrong because it's only the beginning of the global jihad. And it's only the uh, recognition of Al-Qaeda in the work in which they have been doing. Now, another article from the same website says this, and you have to keep in mind, this is put out by uh, uh, the Arab world. And we are going to learn today that the Arab world will purposely put out things to deceive in order to bring about their purpose. That's part of the Quran. We're not going to really go into the Quran much today because we will at other in other series. I want you to see what is being said. The Egyptian cleric Yusuf al Dawi, and you have to forgive me for the pronunciation of these names because uh, it's very difficult for me, Considered as the most prominent Islamic Sunni cleric and the ideological mentor of the Muslim Brotherhood, was for many years in exile in Qatar and used Al Jazeera TV network as his mouthpiece to criticize in the strongest Islamic terms Hosni Mubarak's regime. Now he is back in Cairo. Do you see what I'm saying? The first article I read, same website made it sound kind of deceptive that it's democratic. But now you see the Muslim Brotherhood leader, cleric, coming back to Cairo, leading it, speaking. It continues. On Friday, 2-18-2011, many hundreds of thousands, some say over a million, gathered in Tahrir Square, the epicenter of Egypt's revolution to celebrate Victory Day over Mubarak's regime, but also to maintain pressure on the temporary military administration to move forward with reforms. The event was broadcast in the Egyptian state television to dozens of millions of the Egyptians all over the country. Egyptian soldiers 
who were monitoring and controlling the event distributed small Egyptian flags to the participants to suggest the army is supporting or hosting the demonstration. The Muslim Brotherhood took a prominent role in organizing Victory Day, and Imam Yusuf al-Qawadawi was the most eminent speaker on the stage surrounded by Qawadawi's bodyguards. And he says, quote, they are on, they are the new partisans of God. These are the young people of Egypt. The revolution is not over yet. The revolution must just began. The mentor of the Muslim Brotherhood said, in a special mention of the Palestinian issue, Al-Qadawi asked the Egyptian army to open wide the Rafah crossing and to pray for the reconquest of Jerusalem by Muslims. Do you hear me? Al-Qaeda, the conquest, the reconquest of Jerusalem by Muslims. This war is not over yet. This jihad is not is only just begun. So that he and the Muslims could pray in security at the Al-Qasa Al- 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 Mosque. This part of his sermon was cheered and applauded by the crowd. Just three days earlier, the Egyptian military council was appointed, uh, has appointed an Islamic judge, Tariq al-Bashiri, to head the committee drawing up a new constitution, angering some of those who argued last week's revolution would deliver the country into the, uh, to the Muslim Brotherhood. Tariq al-Bashiri has been associated with the al-Wasat, an offshoot shoot of the Muslim Brotherhood. While Abbas, the best-known human rights blogger in Egypt who was sentenced to prison by the Mubarak regime last year, said it was a worrying choice. There is no such thing as a moderate Islamist, while Abbas said. We want a secular state that respects all religions and which belongs to all religions. So there's this cry that, you know, they want all religions. Egypt, a former firm... uh, a former firm opposition to Iran specialized so far with finding all kinds of legal technicalities to prevent, prevent Iran warships from crossing the Swiss Canal. At the same Friday, when Yusuf al-Qadari held his speech in Cairo, Egypt allowed two Iranian warships to cross the Swiss Canal allegedly on the visit to Syria and practically to establish a presence of an Iranian navy in the Mediterranean. According to some sources, one of the ships, the cruiser Karg, is loaded with rockets and missiles for the Hezbollah in Lebanon to be delivered through Syria. This time, Egypt chose to reach toward Iran. Heavy dark clouds loom above the prospect of democratic liberal Egypt. Egypt is looking for a new balance between the army and the Islamic Brotherhood as the strongest consolidate civilian political power in Egypt. In the best scenario, Egypt will adopt the Turkish model. In the worst, the Iranian model. In between, USA loses loses yet another confidential ally in the Middle East. We lose Mubarak. Even though he was a dictator, we lose him. And it is going to fall into the hands of the Muslim Brotherhood. 
Next week I'm going to do a series on Muslim Brotherhood and the Reign of Terror and what is coming with the Muslim Brotherhood. They go way back, and now I'm going to get off trail if I start talking to them. So this revolution is... it. If it's not, you know, if it's not a global jihad, then what is it? To understand this one, to understand, you have to understand the idea of jihad and global domination. One of the prophets of Islam against Islam, who I will let you get to know a little bit better for, to further show uh, into the show, well, you know, actually into the series, I should say, because I'm going to mention them. Uh, uh, his name is Walid Shabat. Some of you have heard of him, uh, but Walid was uh, part of the Fatah movement headed by Yasser Arafat. Later in life, he became a Christian and has denounced terrorism. He now speaks out against Islam in his book, Why I Left Jihad, The Root of Terrorism and the Return of Radical Islam. Here is what he says about Jihad. What? Quote, what the West does not understand about Islamism is that jihad has stages. If Muslims have the upper hand, then jihad is waged by force. If Muslims do not have the upper hand, then jihad is waged through financial and political means. Since Muslims do not have the upper hand in America or Europe, and in current uprising in Egypt and Libya, they talk about peace in front of you while supporting terrorist organizations such as Hamas and Hezbollah in the back room. The whole idea of Islam being a peaceful religion emanates from the silent stage of jihad. As Sheikh Kawadawi mentioned in the article I just read on Egypt, taught Muslims in Chicago when Shalah Din al-Abawi Ayyubi, forgive the pronunciation, was asked to concede to peace with the verse Quran 8:61, and if they decline to peace, then incline it to, to it and trust in Allah. However, from Quran to Quran 47:35, he replied, "And be not slack, so as to cry for peace, and you have the upper hand." In Islam, conceding to peace means that the Islamic Ummah nation is weak. So as soon as Islam becomes the dominating force, it switches into war gear. It is a fallacy that jihad represents an inner, inner struggle. And this is Walid Shabbat still speaking. Jihad means the kind of genocidal slaughter of infidels that Osama bin Laden calls for. Inner struggle, despite over a hundred quotes by Muhammad referring to jihad by the sword, by killing, by taking, no prisoners, by force, conversion, or by enslavement, with only one quote referring to an internal struggle called for by Muhammad after the complete conquest and occupation of Arabia. So, I mean, he... I'm taking a break for just a second from what uh, Walid Shabbat is saying. He is saying that in all the conquest, all the Quranic verses that call for jihad to be by to take prisoners by forced conversion, by enslavement, by killing, by sword. In the midst of it, there might be one 
in a dozen, in thousands of many, I don't want to say thousands, but many that say, by peace. <clears throat> Public, back to Walid. Public claims of pacifism are typical of the Islamic leadership, and the West eagerly devours them, refusing to believe that a major, major world religion poses such a danger to humanity. And Walid goes on to say, of course, there are Muslims who reject many of the classical sources and and truly focus on the peaceful verses of the Quran, seeking to reinterpret the verses because they truly do not want to engage in violence. These liberal Muslims seem to rewrite Islam rather than correctly interpret it. They are peaceful despite Islam, not because of it. So anyone who actually is saying that Islam is a peaceful religion is considered by those who are who are true is um, followers of Islam to be liberal and to be uh, rewriting what Islam is actually saying. Now we see this played out in what happened in Lebanon in, in, in the 1970s as their country entered a civil war between Western democratic ideals and militant Islam. Now Brigitte Gabriel, uh, who is a Palestinian and her family, Palestinian Christians living in, in a Christian area in southern Lebanon, found themselves in the midst of this struggle. I can't help think of what her life was like in comparison to mine, as both of us are, are the same age. Her plight uh, came after the expulsion of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, uh, headed up by Yasser Arafat. Arafat from Jordan. Brigitte Gabriel in her book Because They Hate describes it this way. When Lebanese Muslims and Palestinians declared jihad on Christians in 1975, we didn't even know what the word meant. We had the Palestinians in, giving them refuge in our country, allowing them to study side by side with us in our schools and universities. We gave them jobs and shared our way of life with them. What started as political war spiraled very fast into a religious war between Muslims and Christians with Lebanese Muslims joining the PLO fighting the Christians. We didn't realize the depths of their hatred and resentment toward us as infidels. The more that Christians refused to get involved in the Palestinian-Israel conflict and to allow the Palestinians to use Lebanon as a launching pad from which to attack Israel, the more the Palestinians took, looked at us as the enemy. Muslims started making statements such as, First comes Saturday, then comes Sunday, meaning first we fight the Jews, then we come for the Christians. Christian presence, influence, and democracy became an obstacle to the Palestinians' fight against Israel. Quranic verses such as Surah 551, believers take not Jews and Christians for your friends, they are but friends and protector to each other became the driving force in recruiting Islam, Muslim youth. Many Christians barely knew the Bible, let alone the Quran, and what it taught about us, the infidels. We should have seen the long simmering tension between Muslims and Christians beginning to erupt, but we refuse to believe that such hatred and such I can't even say the word, existed. But you know what I'm saying. 
America failed to recognize this hatred through all the attacks launched against it, beginning with the Marine Marine Barracks bombing in, in Beirut, in 1983 and all the way to September of 2011. It was that horrible day that made Americans finally ask, what is jihad and why do they hate us? I have a very simple answer from, for them, because you are infidels. She goes on to say, this book is a warning. It is a warning that that what happened to me and my country at birth could ha- could happen uh, uh, could terrifyingly happen here in America, my country of adoption. It is a warning about what happened to countless of other mu- non-Muslims in the Middle East, and what should never happen again anywhere to anyone else. It now is becoming a dire warning because I see increasing evidence that what happened to me in in Lebanon is beginning to happen in towns and cities throughout America and the Western world. Watching the World Trade Center buildings fall in 2001, I was struck by the same fear that I experienced during the war in Lebanon. As I watched, words instinctively came from my mouth as I spoke to the TV screen. Now they are here. I knew instantly why I had survived the suffering I experienced and what the purpose of my life would be. My being an eyewitness to the assault of Islamic Jihad against non-Muslims, Lebanese Lebanese gives me a voice to help America and the West understand what is now happening to them. But for you to understand anything about how the Middle East Islamic Jihad relates to the West, you must remember this. Without understanding the past, you will never understand the present and will have no idea how to plan for the future. Now, for me, as a Christian, and her and I are the same age, it's hard for me to see my life in perspective to her own. But for such a time as this, God has placed me here, just like he has placed you here, There is a reason we are here at this time in this day. As she was hiding in a bomb shelter, I was being instructed by the Lord. I was being pulled out of who I was um, as a child. She was 10 when she went in the bomb shelter. I was saved. I got saved when I was 10. And in parallel, I see our lives. I, I, I got saved, you know, I never imagined I would be encountering what I'm encountering today and she never imagined what she had encountered and what she is actually here to speak about. Now if I can I can expose and put in perspective the battle we now face, I feel I've done my part just as she feels she is doing her part in speaking out against Islam. Prophets, both of us, both for and against Islam now speak and we must take what they say seriously. Now, like I said, in this series, I will, I will do as Brigitte Gabriel suggests and take a, a look back. I plan to dedicate shows to the Prophet Muhammad, the Quran, the Muslim Brotherhood, as I mentioned a little earlier, and fractions with Islam, terror sales, and different beliefs. Um, all of us is Jehovah, and whether or not they are one and the same, there's a, there's a question of, is Allah Jehovah of the Bible? Are they the same? 
just in different uh, perspectives. I will also make a comparison between Muhammad and Jesus and the second coming versus the last Imam. But today my plan is to focus our attention on on these prophets, giving them a voice today and their warnings. The prophets, like I said, and I'm going to say it again, speak loudly. Do we hear? Are we listening? Do we care? My answer, we should. My friend Jenny, I have a friend who lives in uh, England, and uh, I was talking to her on the phone a few, couple. well, I call her every year on actually um, in a couple days, which is uh, March 17th, that is her birthday, and I call her every year, and I I asked her a couple of years ago when this first, you know, started to get prominent in England. I said, well, "So, what do you, what do you think about Islam invading your country, or how Islam is kind of coming into your country?" And in her sweet, though, you know, British voice, and now you guys who are British are going to actually uh, criticize me, but that's okay. She said, "I can't believe it. I'm not even political, and they, I feel like they're taking over our country." She, who is not even political, is feeling invaded by Islam in her own country. There's a letter that I found on the Internet that said, Dear Brother Reagan, I do not know who Brother Reagan is, but this is something he is saying about about what's happening in Europe. And it's like comments from a citizen of England, specifically. I have today read with interest your news article on your website regarding the rise of Islam here in England. It certainly is true that whilst church buildings are closing at an alarming rate, mosques and temples are increasing at the same alarming rate. Many church buildings that were once used to the glory of God are now used as mosques. Here in Birmingham, I can say that the mosques and the temple Temples are now some of the most amazing buildings in the city, and they dominate the skyline where they are. Islam is at such a stage here that I believe it will take over the nation very shortly, and the church is doing absolutely nothing about it. I was I was only recently preaching on the streets here in Birmingham when I suddenly found myself surrounded by a group of about 15 to 20 Muslim teenagers. Despite their attempts at intimidation, I thank God that I was able to preach the gospel to them, and some of them even took a track. The sight of the Bible believers preaching on the street of the city nowadays is almost non-existent. There was a documentary on the television not too many years ago where the leader of one of the main Islamic mosques in London was interviewed. He is a very aggressive, outspoken Muslim and has been quite high profile over over here since September 11th. He stated on this program that it was his desire to see the flag of Islam flying over Downing Street, the prime minister's house within 20 years. I reckon we have about 15 years left, and I can see that happening. I have on my notice board here at home an article from a well-respected national newspaper entitled, Why Tony Blair Always Carries a Copy of the Quran. Part of the article reads, it is in his interest in the Quran was kindled by Chelsea Clinton, the president's daughter. I carry a copy of the book with me whenever I can. I give me, it 
to give me inspiration and courage, he told Muslim News in March 2000. So this kind of gives you an idea when this was this this um, letter was written. He explained that he found the Quran clear and reflective, revealing the concept of love and fellowship as the guiding spirits of humanity. Interestingly enough, this article is dated September 9, 2001, just two days before the atrocities in America. Following September 11th, police police officers had to patrol all of the mosques and temples in our local area to offer them protection. Churches are vandalized here every day of the week, but no one has been told to specifically look after them. If ever there was a nation on this earth that needed missionaries to preach the gospel, it is this one great land called England. We need your prayers, folks. And I, and it's, I say that because, you know, of my personal context there in England and seeing their cry that Islam is overtaking them. How Islam, how they do, how they're taking over Europe is, is they're um, actually in my, in, immigrating to the European uh, nation states. Uh, England and France. When I went to France in 1986 as a missionary, uh, the city of Orléans was uh, 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 almost taken over by Islam, Islamic Muslims from uh, Arab Muslims, which was kind of surprising to me because throughout the rest of the Parisian area, the Paris area, uh, Orléans was the farthest south that I had gone on my missions, adventures, um, where I met up with the Moroccan Muslims, a lot of the North African Muslims, and I spoke to them. I spoke to a cleric, and he actually called me, asked me if I was a philosopher uh, as I shared the gospel with him. But Orléans was the city where Joan of Arc was burned at the stake, and Orléans is the central city of um, France. But I see, we see this in Europe, and you know it's coming here to the United States. They're already here. They're already, already trying to weave their way into our democracy. As in Lebanon, Brigitte Gabriel said that uh, they, they use their democracy to wield their power. Once they got into power, they crushed everybody else underneath them. And that's exactly what Walid Shabbat said that Islam is, does. Now, Gert Wilder, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he is a Dutch. He is a Dutch parliament member. And on the website, and I'm going to post this on my false teaching site um, and also my personal web uh, Facebook site, Brenda Johnson. Um, I'm going to post this, but um, today I'm going to show you what he says. He is in—he is actually having to defend himself in court. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about him in just a minute. But I want to for you to hear what he is saying and what how he has to defend himself. Thank you, chairman, members of the court. Now he's speaking to the court. The lights are going out slowly all, all over Europe all over the continent where our country flourished and where, where man created freedom, prosperity, and civilization. The foundation of the West is under attack everywhere. All over Europe, the elites are acting um, out, acting as protectors, 
sorry, uh, of an ideology that has been bent on destroying us for 14 centuries, an ideology that has sprung from the desert and that can produce only deserts because it does not give people freedom. The Islamic Mozart, the Islamic Gerard Revy, a Dutch author, the Islamic Bill Gates, they do not exist because without freedom there is no creativity. With everything in me, I believe that the ideology of Islam is especially noted for killing and oppression and can only produce societies that are backward and impoverished. Surprisingly, the elites do not want to hear any criticism of this ideology. My trial is not an isolated incident. Only fools believe it is. All over Europe, multicultural elites are waging total war against their populations. Their goal is to continue the strategy of mass immigration, which will ultimately result in an Islamic Europe, a Europe without freedom, Eurabia. The lights are going out all over Europe. Only anyone who thinks and speaks individually is at risk. Freedom loving citizens who criticize Islam or even merely suggest that there is a relationship between and crime between crime or honor killing must suffer and are threatened persecution or criminalized. Those who speak the truth are in danger. The lights are going out all over Europe. Everywhere the over Overwhelming thought police are at work on the lookout for those crimes everywhere, casting the populace back within the confines where it is allowed to think. Chairman, members of the court, this trial is not about me. It's about something much greater. Freedom of speech is not the property of those who happen to belong to the elites of the country. It is an inalienable right, the birthright of a people. For centuries, battles have been fought for it, and now it is being sacrificed to please a totalitarian ideology. Future generations will look back at this trial and wonder who was right, who defended freedom, and who wanted to get rid of it. The lights are going out all over Europe. Our freedom is being restricted everywhere. So I repeat what I said here last year. It is not only the, priv the privilege, but also the duty of free people to speak out against any ideology that threatens freedom. Hence, it is a right and a duty, and hence also my duty as a member of the Dutch Parliament to speak the truth about the evil ideology that is called Islam. I hope that freedom of speech will emerge triumphant from this trial. I hope that not only I shall be acquitted, but especially that freedom of speech will continue to exist in the Netherlands and in Europe. End quote. Now, when you look at this film, this clip on, on the Internet, he is speaking all in Dutch, so and there is captions on it, so I, I don't know Dutch, so I didn't translate it, but this is great, what he said, and I, in, in this trial, and I believe as I did more study of him, he was acquitted at this trial. I'm not sure what the date of this is, but there was reaction from the Islamists, those who, who are... Um, uh, 
is speaking out against Wilder. And I want to show you what they're saying in response to what he said. This is a, a group called the Islam for UK, an organization that was later shut down under the UK Terrorism Act of 2000 on January uh, 14, 2010. So the same group, and it's about 40 people, it was men, and they're standing out. There's somebody who is interviewing and made it look like a news uh, uh, interviewer, but he was actually part of this group. Now, in the beginning of this particular clip, it says, Welcome to the TJTF.org, home of the Jewish Task Force a great movement of Jews and righteous Gentiles fighting for justice. Now, they're the ones that actually um, put this particular piece together um, that I saw. It was um, actually uh, shown throughout the Muslim world um, for all to see, not from the Jewish uh, task force, but Islam itself actually uh, printed on al Jazeera or whatever. Um, so in the consulate, and then they explain, it says in the following clip, see how Muslims in the UK openly brag how they want to murder Dutch politician Gert Wilders. Notice how these Muslims openly on a public street in London incite their fellow Muslims to perpetuate the crime of murder. Notice how these Muslims are able to do so without any fear of being arrested for the crime of public incitation to murder. Now, I'm going to, you know, when you see it, it gives you even more um, an idea. But I want you to know that the reason I can actually say these things on here is because what they say is amazing, not amazing, wrong word, what they say is powerful enough. So now, uh, the JTF.org uh, Jewish Task Force goes on to say, apologists of Islam will claim that these Muslims are simply extremists and supposedly do not represent true Islam. If that is actually the case, where are these so-called Muslim moderates denouncing these so-called Muslim extremists? Why are the so-called moderate Muslims publicly present? Um, why are they not publicly present and denouncing the so-called Muslim extremist. As we saw during the, the, the so-called Danish Muhammad cartoon riots in 2005, the so-called moderate Muslims are nowhere in sight. Keep in mind, in the following clip that was broadcasted in Iranian press TV, that's where it was broadcasted, to millions of Muslims all over the world. Now, the interviewer, like I said... He says first, he himself is Muslim, and he says, tell me why you are here, Islamic protester. Now, I'm, I'm going to warn you that some of these are, uh, uh, the, the language is not quite um, a proper English because they are speaking broken English. So I'm going to try to say it the way they said it. Some of the words were not. Uh, I couldn't understand, so I will skip some, and I'll let you know when those are. The Islamic protester, number one, he says, obviously we're in protest against this man, Gert Wilders, who insulted the prophet Muhammad, and then he praises Muhammad. We need to give him a message that, like 
he do in this interview today hold up? He will remain hold up because he obviously knows that in Islam, the punishment for the one who insults the prophet is capital punishment. And he should take lessons from people like Theo van Gogh. He's a Dutch filmmaker who was assassinated by Muslims. And Elvis, who faced the punishment. So obviously we are here to warn him and we remind him that he is going to remain holed up as long as he insults Islam and Muslims. Now, when he says, uh, let me interject here, when he says hold up, um, it's because Wilder was actually, uh, has to have bodyguards surrounding him all the time. He can't even see his wife but once a week because of the security and the detail that he has to have around him to protect his life. Now the interviewer says, is that... Is that going to be con- construed as th- a threat, what you said? Islamic protester number one responds. Well, obviously, what I am saying, I'm not saying I'm personally going to carry it out, but he needs to know that there is Muslims in every corner of the earth, and these people all have love for the message of Muhammad. And this message of Muhammad, he says, quoting the Quran, the one who insults any of the prophets, kill him via capital punishment. Not that I am the person to carry it out, but he should be warned of the consequences of that, interviewer now says. Do you consider this a victory today, that you prevented him from speaking? Islamic protester number one responds. We obviously are. All those people who insult Islam, they're under constant protection anyway. They do not live a life and should learn from that not to insult the message of Allah. The interviewer, all right, thank you. And he says his name. There's, in the background, you'll see some signs that saying Sharia, the true solution. Sharia law. A lot of them are carrying these signs. Now, this, there's a speaker that has a megaphone, and he's he is calling out, he is saying this, calling out all, calling all Muslims. We are here to teach this dog a lesson that if he wishes to bark in Holland and insult the messenger and insult Islam and the Muslims, but when he comes to the UK, he meets the lions. And I can't understand what he says. The Muslims will not stand for this rubbish. They want to say that he's an extremist. They want to say that he's not representing their views, England's views. But this dog is the open voice of democracy. We can see that what see that what he says is in the heart of every government in Europe. We can see that everything that what he says is in the heart of every believer that he wishes. I can't understand what he said at this point that he wishes to take away the Quran, that he wishes to close down Islamic centers. That is the same thing that we see in the, like, in British media, to start the day in the daily media. Wherever he goes, let him know that wherever he will go, Islam will come. Islam will dominate. Islam will dominate the east of the east and the west of the west. So no matter where he runs, Islam will be implemented. And then they have, in the background, shouts of um, Allah Akbar three times. And he has to stop from <clears throat> speaking. So he can go and crawl in any nook in Europe. But let him know that Islam will come and conquer the UK. It will conquer Holland. It will conquer Europe. It will conquer the world. You will see. And then you have shouts of Allah Akbar behind him. 
This one will enter the house of every person in this world. It will either elevate the person or humiliate the person, and then we will see the, the believers victorious, and we will see Israel destroyed, and we will see the European crusaders destroyed, and we will see Islam dominate. The interviewer goes, goes on again, taking away from the speaker. It says, Muslim, uh, and he goes, Muslims are gathered here today because the guy at the back, Gert Wilder, has insulted the prophet and has, has insulted the Quran. As we know the Muslims, the message of Muhammad, and as we know the message of Muhammad, praise in quotations of the Quran, whoever insults the prophet, uh, he says it in Arabic, kill him. So we are here to let the people know that we are not going to stand for this no more. We are here to let the people know that the British, they are hypocrites, yet they prosecute the Muslims for incitement and racial hatred, yet, and yet he says so many things against Islam. He says so many things about the Quran, and nothing happens to him. He gets granted to come to the UK. So we are not going to stand for it anymore. We, are, we have come here to let the people know that this is no more. So let the whole world know. If we had an Islamic state today, that his head would be on a stake. And then the protester number one that was here in the beginning of the clip says, You see, Gerd Wilders, the things that he said, he was anti-Islam, anti-Muslim, and this is not something new. The British government and the Dutch government and all the, these governments are in alliance together, killing Muslims in Iraq and Afghanistan. So this is nothing new. What we say to him is let him... Let him come outside. How is it that this man is now scared? He is running scared. He can't come outside the buildings. And the police and the government are here supporting him and protecting him from the Muslims. Dirt Wild is. The message is to him. Come outside and face the Muslims. Come outside and feel how the Islamic punishment should be on him. He's obviously one. Only one. And he is so scared. Where did all the freedom go? And where did all the democracy go? Let him come outside. Let the police go home. Two minutes. Two minutes and see how he's, he's faced with the Islamic view of all of it on what he said. <clears throat> and that is the end of the clip. Very telling. Very uh, telling of what is said um, here. Bert Wilder, for those of you who do not know who he is, um, on October 16, 2009, Wilders arrived in the United Kingdom and was quickly forced to move his press conference due to the protests about uh, about 40 members of the UK Terrorism Act um, organization, Islami for UK, and this is the group that was speaking, and this is actually probably the incident that was happening. <clears throat> And um, like I said earlier, this group was shut down um, in 2010. Though the Home Office had asserted that this entity, um, that his entry into the country would not be blocked, a spokesman said his statements and behavior during a visit will inevitably impact on any future decision to admit him. His visit to the UK met with protests, but Wilders called it a victory in a press conference. On his, his outspoken views on Islam, he said, I have a problem with the Islamic ideology, the Islamic culture, 
because I feel that the more Islam that we get into our societies, the less freedom we get. He opened the press conference with a quote from George Orwell, Wells' preference to animal farms. says, if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they don't want to hear. Lord Person, who, who had invited him, said that his arrival, who had invited him, said his arrival was a celebration of victory, of freedom, of speech over those who would prevent it in, in this country, particularly the Islamists, the violent jihadists who are on the march tour across the world and in the UK. Now, who is he? He is a Dutch politician and leader of the Party for Freedom the third leading pol- political party in Netherlands and and <clears throat> what is he what is he saying about Islam? What are they accusing him? His views on Islam um, um he has his criticism of Islam is summing up his views by saying, I don't hate Muslims, I hate Islam. Although identifying Islamic extremists as 5 to 15% of Muslims, he argues that there is no such thing as a moderate Islam. And the Quran also states that Muslims who believe in only part of the Quran are, in fact, apostates. He suggests that Muslims should tear out half of the Quran if they wish to stay in the Netherlands because it contains terrible things and that Muhammad would, in these days, be hunted down as a terrorist. Um, on August 8, 2007, while Wilders while, while opined in an open letter to the Dutch newspaper, De Vosteskant, that the Quran, which is called a fascist book, should be outlawed in the Netherlands, like Adolf Hitler in Hitler's Munkoff. He has stated that the book cites hatred and killing and therefore has no place in our legal order. He has also referred to Muhammad as the devil. In September 2009, he made a public speech advocating a 1,000-year or $1,500 excise tax on wearing headscarves. He believes that all Muslims, Muslim immigration to the Netherlands should be halted and all settled immigrants should be paid to leave. He is trying to stop what is invading the European um, situation. And, and Islam and, and Muslims are actually doing this on purpose. They Im- immigrate on purpose. They do so because they believe that in time, all the children which they are supposed to have will grow up and overtake the democracy. They will, uh, they will outvote the Europeans. And then thus, in peaceful jihad, will take over in the political realm. And thus, once they get power, like they did in Lebanon, they will have the upper hand and will crush anyone who disagrees with their their beliefs. Wafa Sultan. She is um, is a Syrian woman. She is one another one I call a prophet of Islam against Islam. 
Saba Walfa Sultan was born in a large traditional Alawite Muslim family in Benyaz, Syria. She migrated to the United States in 1989 where she moved to Los Angeles, California and became a naturalized citizen. Salton became a notable, notable after the September 11, 2001 attacks for her participation in Middle East political debates with an Arabic essays that were circulated widely and for television appearances on the Al Jazeera and CNN. Al Jazeera had her on there debating and... <laughs> She shouted back at them because she says, if they have to shout, and if you don't shout back, then you are considered weak. So she shouts at them. And so when you hear a Muslim shouting is because that is how they dom they, they are domineering. Because if you respond to them weak, a weak voice, they will consider you easy to trample on. And so she is, if you see her uh, in these debates, she is a go-getter, and I love her. She is not a Christian, uh, but she appreciates the God that she met in America, the Christian God. Um, We shall pray for her to become a Christian. But Sultan describes her thesis as witnessing a battle between modernity and barbarianism, which Islam will lose. She hopes that it will lose, but we know that this battle is bigger than what it looks like. And her determination is to help it to be lost. It has brought her her telephone threats, but also praise from reformers. Her comments, especially a pointed criticism that no Jew has blown himself up in a German restaurant, brought an invitation to Jerusalem by the American Jewish Congress. Um, She is also supporting Wilder, Gert Wilder, uh, in in the Dutch European, uh, defending him, speaking on his behalf. Salton believes that the trouble with Islam is deeply rooted in its teachings. Islam is not only a religion. Islam is also a political ideology that preaches violence and applies its agenda by force. In a discussion with Ahmad bin bin Muhammad, she said, it was these teachings that distorted this terrorist and killed his humanity. Sultan stated that she was shocked into secularism by by the 1979 atrocities committed by Islamic extremists of the Muslim Brotherhood against innocent Syrians, including her witnessing while she was <clears throat> a medical student at the machine of the machine gun assassination of her professor Yusuf Al Yusuf in Anthropomorphism. From the University of Aleppo, renowned beyond Syria, renowned beyond Syria. She says they shot hundreds of bullets into him, shouting Allah Akbar. She said, at that point, I lost my trust in their God and began to question all their teachings. It was the turning point of my life. It has led me to this present point. I have to leave. I have to look for another God. 
in her book, A God Who Hates, the, the, the courageous woman who inflamed the Muslim world speaks out against the evils of Islam, especially toward women. This, this book, book focuses on how Islam treats women. Wafa points out that Muslims have no problem misleading the West about their true beliefs and intentions. She says this, this is not the only incident, unfortunately, of, of Muslims saying one thing to an English-speaking audience and something else entirely to an Arabic-speaking one. In the wake of the September 11th attack, a study event was held at which the main and only speaker was a public speaker from the Muslim community. After he had finished speaking, those present began to ask questions, and I asked him, Doctor, do you believe that the Islamic books we have will contribute to the creation of a peaceful and nonviolent generation? The speaker was well aware of who I was and my contributions. He, therefore, replied, absolutely not, implying that Islamic books need to be need to be altered or looked at more carefully. However, when asked by a publisher of, of a Los Angeles Arabic language uh, newspaper it, if it you know, would be okay to quote his answers word for word, he objected. I heard him say, no, don't do that, but I have no objections to your writing. Some of these books required re-examination. The publisher tried to get the speaker's agreement before printing his views because deep down he realized that what the speaker had said in private forum was different from what he was prepared to say in public. Why do countries in the West allow Muslims who live among them to pretend to be moderates when they speak in Western languages, but don't criticize them for their radical Islamic views when they address the Muslim world in their native languages. This story is just the tip of the iceberg, which represents the increasing Islamization of the West and especially of the United States. She loves the United States. She came here to escape. She said she had uh, freedom. She's never known as a woman, especially as a woman is in Islam. Uh, and she said it took her a long time to get over the ideology that she had grown up with and taught. And she feels that Islam is the problem. Um, so what is the Muslim world saying? What do their prophets have to say about their own beliefs, their mission, their intentions, and their ambitions in the world? <clears throat> On a, what is called a jihad watch, Islam will rule the world. Um Somebody posted a message that they said it was on the message board, boards of Faith Freedom International. And this person who actually posted it on their site said, well, is this a hoax or is this for real? Well, discussion started about whether this particular thing is for real or, for, or if it's a big hoax. In light of our conversation, I thought it, was, it would be very uh, telling to... Um, uh, share with you what this says, and in light of the two prophets, three prophets of Islam against Islam has have said so far, you can answer for yourself whether you think it is a hoax or if it's actually true. This is called the Constitution for the New Islamic Republic of USA is under construction. 
I would really like to actually um, read a response to this as well. Uh, but we'll see what kind of time I have. I may have to do a part two on this uh, particular topic because I am only halfway through what I'm trying to say to you. So, And I've got about 14 minutes left. Anyway, the Constitution for the New Islamic Republic of, U- of USA is under construction. It says, we will fight infidel to death. Meanwhile, American laws will protect us. Democrats and leftists will support us. UNO or UNO will legitimize us. CARE will incubate us. C-A-I-R. The ACLU will empower us. Western universities will shelter us. Hollywood will love us. Our children will migrate from Pakistan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Indonesia, and even from India to the U.S. for education and full scholarship. America is paying and will continue to pay for our children's educations and their upbringings in state-funded Islamic schools. We will use your welfare system. Our children will also send money home while they are preparing for jihad. We will take advantage of American kindness, gullibility, and compassion. When time comes, we will stab them in the back to death. We will say one thing on the camera and teach another thing to our children at home. We will teach our children Islamic value from the very childhood. We will teach them not to compromise with infidel. Once we do that from the very early age, our children won't hesitate to be martyr. We will take over the Europe over Europe first and then US. We already have a solid ground in the UK, Holland, Sweden, Spain, Germany, and the US. Surprise that they didn't say France. I think France is kind of rising up. Our children will marry Christian and Caucasians in Europe and in America. We will mix we will mixed with intricate fabric of the Western society, but still will remember to jihad when time comes. We are called sleeper cells. We will raise our children to be loyal to Islam and Muhammad. At the time of the real fight, we will hold our children as our armor. When American or Israeli troops shoot at us, the world will be watching. Imagine, imagine the news in the world, death of Muslim babies by infidels. We know CNN, ABC, CBS are broadcasting live. Al Jazeera will pour gasoline on the fire. The news will spread like wildfire. Americans killed six babies, ten babies, Jews killed two women. Visualize the news flash all over the world. Muslim mother is sobbing, crying. Her babies have, are killed by Jews and Americans. The whole world is watching lives. Hundreds of millions of Muslims all around the world are boiling. They will march through Europe. We will use our women to produce more babies who will in turn be used as armor, shield. Our babies are the gift, are, are the gift from Allah. For jihad. West manufactures their tanks in the factory. We will manufacture our military force by natural means by producing 
more babies. That is the way that is the way it is cheaper. You infidels at this site cannot defeat us. We are one point two billion. We will double again. Do you have enough bullets to kill us? On the camera. We will always say Islam is the religion of peace. We will say jihad is actually inner jihad, which means the struggle, the inner struggle. There will be more 9-11 in Europe and America. We will say, we do not support terrorism, but America got what it deserved. Muslims, CARE, ISNA, and other international Islamic organizations will unite. We will partner with leftists, ACLU, with Kofi Annan, and the UN. And if we have to take... Uh, has to then even with France. Fasten your seatbelts. War of civilizations have just begun. We will use your own values of kindness against you. You are destined to lose. Must be very depressing for you, isn't it? Allah Akbar. Interesting. But that sun sink in what is said there. This happened in Lebanon. The exact very thing happened in Lebanon, which was the only democratic country in the Middle East besides Israel. And now you see it as an Islamic nation. Israel is surrounded by its enemies. It's being bombarded by its enemies. Wallace Shabbat. I've got about eight minutes left. Let's see if I can share with you about him. Ex-Muslim terrorist Wallace Shabbat, who himself was initiated at the age of 16 into Yasser Arafat's Fatah terror group, in his book, Why I Left Jihad, warns us. An American friend asked me how the terrorists can behead people and do it in, in, so in front of the video camera for the world to see. She cannot believe that anyone can do it, anything so barbaric. She and all of you in the Western world who read this book may finally understand why Muslim fanatics can behead people on TV. It is no different from the Nazis throwing human beings into ovens. We are witnessing the rise of terror all over the world, no different from that uh, what happened in Nazi Germany. Nationally is no protection. Nationality is no protection. Even German citizens who failed to become good party members were exterminated. No one was safe then, and no one is safe now. Nazism, like Islamism, was a cult that brainwashed an entire society to believe that members of the Aryans were more valuable than other human beings. It was dressed up as, a nas- as national pride. With Islamism, only those who adhere to militant radical fundamentalism are safe. The rest of the world are infidels who must be converted or destroyed. So have, we have watched in horror as they carry body parts to the, the Palestinian capital of Ramallah, praising Allah for the whole world to see. And he experienced a lot of this. The Jews are not their only target. If every Jew in the world were dead, it would not end. 
the rest of you are infidels too, Koreans, Japanese, Britons, anyone, even other Muslims who do not adhere to the cult of violence. The motto is Islam to the world. The earth, they claim, belongs to Allah and his prophet. Now he goes on to say, why would any Christian support such a state, knowing that Islamism will not accept Christians? In Palestine, the only difference between organizations like Hamas and the Palestinian Authority is the size of the dose of Islamofascism. No matter what percentage of the power struggle goes to Hamas or Sharia law or the new Palestinian government, Islamic Jihad will fuel it. The Western world has been duped to believe that secular Arabs or moderate Islam will make a difference. They won't even be players. Islamism will gather in it as many other non-Arab nations as it can to join cause for their destruction of the Jewish state, a cause that has a long history, one that began long before Israel was declared a state. He speaks further further about a prophet called Sheikh Muhammad Ibrahim al-Mahdi. The BA Constitution, moreover, firmly adopted rigid anti-democratic Islamic Sharia law. Lest there be any doubt about its meaning, Islamic law carefully spells out the institutional inferiority that has been forced on non-Muslims by majority Muslim societies since the time of Muhammad. Ashik Muhammad Ibrahim al-Mahdi explained on an official Palestinian Authority TV in 2001, Muslims of Palestine want to meet Allah, and we are the soldiers of the Caliphate that, will, that was announced by the Prophet. Therefore, the Caliphate will be in accordance with the prophecy in Al-Qasa in Jerusalem and in its surroundings. We welcome the Jews to live as Dimas, but the rule in this land and in all the Muslim countries must be the rule of Allah. Those from amongst the Jews and from amongst those who are not Jews who came to this land are plunderer, must return humiliated and disrespected to their countries. Demis means a residence of the country that allows them few, if any, rights. <clears throat> so did I give you a taste of what um, it was like for the prophets of Islam? There's more. I think I'm going to uh, focus another week on what is being said here. There's more prophets that are speaking on behalf against Islam, on behalf of you and I. Uh, um, Walid's Shabbat is a Christian. He became a Christian. Brigitte Gabriel was raised a Christian in, the pa- in, in Palestine, in Lebanon. Walid Shabbat was raised in Israel, in the West Bank under Yasser Arafat. <clears throat> Wafa Sultan was a Syrian-born Muslim who was oppressed by the regime of Islam as a woman. She dedicates her book to her niece who, distressed by a marriage she could not live with, set herself on fire, killing herself 
to escape the horrors of her marriage. She dedicates that book, which focuses on a lot of the women in that country that suffer under the hands of Islam. And next week I want to introduce you to the son of Hamas, Musab Hassan Youssef, and what he has to say. His father was a leader in Hamas, or is a leader currently in Hamas. He's in prison, as far as I know, when he wrote the when Musab Hassan Youssef wrote his book. He is in America, and he is also a prophet against Islam. I'm going to introduce you to him next week. I'm also going to let you hear some more of the prophets of Islam, Ahmadinejad, uh, the imams that are speaking today, what the caliphate means, what it means for Sharia law. And then after next week, we're going into the Muslim Brotherhood and the history of that. But today I thank you for joining me on As the Day Approaches. It's out of ten uh, Hebrews 10.25. It says, Do not forsake the meeting together of one another, especially as the days, as the day approaches of his coming, approaches. Some are um, willing to forsake meeting together. But God wants us to meet together, to discuss these things, to build one another up, to send each other out, to not hold back and give all that he has inspired us to give, to impact our world around us. I hope today I've inspired you a little bit. Thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Brenda Johnson. If you'd like to get in contact with me, you can email me at gracetomany at mchsi.com. Gracetomany at mchsi.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in his hand and guide you. In the name of Jesus.